Section 10 of The Elements of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avahi in September 2010. The Elements of Geology by William Harmon Norton. Chapter 5, Part 2. The Geological Work of Glacier Ice. The sluggish glacier must do its work in a different way from the agile river. The mountain stream is swift and small, and its channel occupies but a small portion of the valley. The glacier is slow and big, its rate of motion may be less than a millionth of that of running water over the same declivity, and its bulk is proportionately large and fills the valley to great depth. Moreover, Glacier ice is a solid body, plastic under slowly applied stresses, while the water of rivers is a nimble fluid. Transportation Valley glaciers differ from rivers as carriers, in that they float the major part of their load upon their surface, transporting the heaviest boulder as easily as a grain of sand, while streams push and roll much of their load along their beds, and their power of transporting waste depends solely upon their velocity. The amount of the surface load of glaciers is limited only by the amount of waste received from the mountain slopes above them. The moving floor of ice stretched high across the valley sweeps along as lateral moraines much of the waste which a mountain stream would let accumulate in talus and alluvial cones. While a valley glacier carries much of its load on top, an ice sheet, such as that of Greenland, is free from surface debris, except where moraines trail away from some nunatak. If at its edge it breaks into separate glaciers which drain down mountain valleys, these tongues of ice will carry the salvages of waste common to valley glaciers. Both ice sheets and valley glaciers drag on large quantities of rock waste in their ground moraines. Stones transported by glaciers are sometimes called erratics. Such are the boulders of the drift of our northern states. Erratics may be set down in an insecure position on the melting of the ice. Deposit Little need be added here to what has already been said of ground and terminal moraines. All strictly glacial deposits are unstratified. The load laid down at the end of a glacier in the terminal moraine is loose in texture, while the drift lodged beneath the glacier as ground moraine is often an extremely dense, stony clay, having been compacted under the pressure of the overriding ice. Erosion a glacier erodes its bed and banks in two ways, by abrasion and by plucking. The rock bed over which a glacier has moved is seen in places to have been abraded or ground away to smooth surfaces which are marked by long, straight, parallel scorings aligned with the line of movement of the ice and varying in size from hairlines and coarse scratches to exceptional furrows several feet deep. Clearly, this work has been accomplished by means of the sharp sand, the pebbles, and the larger stones with which the base of the glacier is inset, and which it holds in a firm grasp as running water cannot. Hard and fine-grained rocks, such as granite and quartzite, 
are often not only ground down to a smooth surface but are also highly polished by means of fine rock flour worn from the glacier bed in other places the bed of the glacier is rough and torn the rocks have been disrupted and their fragments have been carried away a process known as plucking moving under immense pressure the ice shatters the rock breaks off projections presses into crevices and wedges the rock apart dislodges the block into which the rock is divided by joints and bedding planes and freezing fast to the fragments drags them on in this work the freezing and thawing of subglacial waters in any cracks and crevices of the rock no doubt play an important part plucking occurs especially where the bedrock is weak because of close jointing the product of plucking is boulders while the product of abrasion is fine rock flour and sand roche moutonnée and rounded hills the prominences left between the hollows due to plucking are commonly ground down and rounded on the stoss side the side from which the ice advances and sometimes on the opposite the lee side as well in this way the bedrock often comes to have a billowy surface known as roche moutonnée sheep rocks hills overridden by an ice sheet often have similarly rounded contours on the stoss side while on the lee side they may be craggy either because of plucking or because here they have been less worn from their initial profile the direction of glacier movement the direction of the flow of vanished glaciers and ice sheets is recorded both in the differences just mentioned in the profiles of overridden hills and also in the minute details of the glacier trail flint nodules or other small prominences in the bedrock are found more worn on the stoss than on the lee side where indeed they may have a low cone of rock protected by them from abrasion cavities on the other hand have their edges worn on the lee side and left sharp upon the stoss surfaces worn and torn in the ways which we have mentioned are said to be glaciated but it must not be supposed that a glacier everywhere glaciates its bed although in places it acts as a rasp or as a pick in others and especially where its pressure is least as near the terminus it moves over its bed in the manner of a sled instances are known where glaciers have advanced over deposits of sand and gravel without disturbing them to any notable degree like a river a glacier does not everywhere erode in places it leaves its bed undisturbed and in places aggrades it by deposits of the ground moraine cirques valley glaciers commonly head as we have seen in broad amphitheatres deeply filled with snow and ice on mountains now destitute of glaciers but whose glaciation shows that they have supported glaciers in the past there are found similar crescentic hollows with high precipitous walls and glaciated floors their floors are often basined and hold lakelets whose deep and quiet waters reflect the sheltering ramparts of rugged rock which tower far above them such mountain hollows are termed cirques as a powerful spring wears back a recess in the valley side where it discharges so the fountain head of a glacier gradually wears back a cirque 
in its slow movement the neve field broadly scours its bed to a flat or basined floor meanwhile the sides of the valley head are steepened and driven back to precipitous walls for in winter the crevasse of the bergschrund which surrounds the neve field is filled with snow and the neve is frozen fast to the rocky sides of the valley in early summer the neve tears itself free dislodging and removing any loosened blocks and the open fissure of the bergschrund allows frost and other agencies of weathering to attack the unprotected rock as cirques are thus formed and enlarged the peaks beneath which they lie are sharpened and the mountain crests are scalloped and cut back from either side to knife-edged ridges in the western mountains of the united states many cirques now empty of neve and glacier ice and known locally as basins testify to the fact that in recent times the snow line stood beneath the levels of their floors and thus far below its present altitude glacier troughs the channel worn to accommodate the big and clumsy glacier differs markedly from the river valley cut as with a saw by the narrow and flexible stream and widened by the weather and the wash of rains the valley glacier may easily be from one thousand to three thousand feet deep and from one to three miles wide such a ponderous bulk of slowly moving ice does not readily adapt itself to sharp turns and a narrow bed by scoring and plucking all resisting edges it develops a fitting channel with a wide flat floor and steep smooth sides above which are seen the weathered slopes of stream-worn mountain valleys since the trunk glacier requires a deeper channel than do its branches the bed of a branch glacier enters the main trough at some distance above the floor for the latter although the surface of the two ice streams may be accordant glacier troughs can be studied best where large glaciers have recently melted completely away as is the case in many valleys of the mountains of the western united states and of central and northern europe the typical glacier trough as shown in such examples is u-shaped with a broad flat floor and high steep walls its walls are little broken by projecting spurs and lateral ravines it is as if a v-valley cut by a river had afterwards been gouged deeper with a gigantic chisel widening the floor to the width of the chisel blade cutting back the spurs and smoothing and steepening the sides a river valley could only be as wide floored as this after it had long been worn down to grade the floor of a glacier trough may not be graded it is often interrupted by irregular steps perhaps hundreds and even a thousand feet in height over which the stream that now drains the valley tumbles in waterfalls reaches between the steps are often basined lakelets may occupy hollows excavated in solid rock and other lakes may be held behind terminal moraines left as dams across the valley at pauses in the retreat of the glacier fjords are glacier troughs now occupied in part or wholly by the sea either because they were excavated by a tide glacier to their present depth below sea level or because of a submergence of the land their characteristic form is that of a long deep narrow bay with steep rock walls and basin floor 
Fjords are found only in regions which have suffered glaciation, such as Norway and Alaska. Hanging valleys. These are lateral valleys which open on their main valley some distance above its floor. They are conspicuous features of glacier troughs from which the ice has vanished, for the trunk glacier in widening and deepening its channel cut its bed below the bottoms of the lateral valleys. Since the mouths of hanging valleys are suspended on the walls of the glacier trough, their streams are compelled to plunge down its steep high sides in waterfalls. Some of the loftiest and most beautiful waterfalls of the world leap from hanging valleys, among them the celebrated Staubach of the Lauterbrunnen Valley of Switzerland and those of the fjords of Norway and Alaska. Hanging valleys are found also in river gorges where the smaller tributaries have not been able to keep pace with a strong master stream in cutting down their beds. In this case, however, they are a mark of extreme youth, for as the trunk stream approaches grade and its velocity and power to erode its bed decrease, the side streams soon cut back their falls and wear their beds at their mouths to a common level with that of the main river. The Grand Canyon of the Colorado must be reckoned a young valley. At its base it narrows to scarcely more than the width of the river, and yet its tributaries, except the very smallest, enter it at a common level. Why could not a wide-floored valley, such as a glacier trough, with hanging valleys opening upon it, be produced in the normal development of a river valley? The troughs of young and of mature glaciers the features of a glacier trough depend much on the length of time the pre-existing valley was occupied with ice. During the infancy of a glacier, we may believe, the spurs of the valley which it fills are but little blunted and its bed is but little broken by steps. In youth the glacier develops ice falls, as a river in youth develops waterfalls, and its bed becomes terraced with great stairs. The mature glacier, like the mature river, has effaced its falls and smoothed its bed to grade. It has also worn back the projecting spurs of its valley, making itself a wide channel with smooth sides. The bed of a mature glacier may form a long basin, since it abrades most in its upper and middle course, where its weight and motion are the greatest. Near the terminus, where weight and motion are the least, it erodes least and may instead deposit a sheet of ground moraine, much as a river builds a flood plain in the same part of its course as it approaches maturity. The bed of a mature glacier thus tends to take the form of a long, relatively narrow basin, across whose lower end may be stretched the dam of the terminal moraine. On the disappearance of the ice, the basin is rilled with a long, narrow lake, such as Lake Chelan in Washington and many of the lakes in the highlands of Scotland. Piedmont glaciers apparently erode but little. Beneath their lake-like expanse of sluggish or stagnant ice, a broad sheet of ground moraine is probably being deposited. Cirques and glaciated valleys rapidly lose their characteristic forms after the ice has withdrawn. The weather destroys all smoothed, polished, and scored surfaces, which are not protected beneath glacial deposits. 
The over-steepened sides of the trough are graded by landslips, by talus slopes, and by alluvial cones. Moranic heaps of drift are dissected and carried away. Hanging valleys in the irregular bed of the trough are both worn down to grade by the streams which now occupy them. The length of time since the retreat of the ice from a mountain valley may thus be estimated by the degree to which the destruction of the characteristic feature of the glacier trough has been carried. Name all the evidences you would expect to find to prove the fact that in the recent geological past the valleys of the Alps contained far larger glaciers than at present, and that on the north of the Alps the ice streams united in a Piedmont glacier which extended across the plains of Switzerland to the sides of the Jura Mountains. The relative importance of glaciers and of rivers. Powerful as glaciers are, and marked as are the landforms which they produce, it is easy to exaggerate their geological importance as compared with rivers. Under present climatic conditions, they are confined to lofty mountains or polar lands. Polar ice sheets are permanent only so long as the lands remain on which they rest. Mountain glaciers can stay only the brief time during which the ranges continue young and high. As lofty mountains, such as the Selkirks and the Alps, are lowered by frost and glacier ice, the snowfall will decrease, the line of permanent snow will rise, and as the mountain hollows in which snow may gather are worn beneath the snow line, the glaciers must disappear. Under present climatic conditions, the work of glaciers is therefore both local and of short duration. Even the glacial epoch, during which vast ice sheets deposited drift over northeastern North America, must have been brief as well as recent, for many lofty mountains, such as the Rockies and the Alps, still bear the marks of great glaciers, which then filled their valleys. Had the glacial epoch been long, as the earth counts time, these mountains would have been worn low by ice. Had the epoch been remote, the marks of glaciation would already have been largely destroyed by other agencies. On the other hand, rivers are well nigh universally at work over the land surfaces of the globe, and ever since the dry land appeared, they have been constantly engaged in leveling the continents and in delivering to the seas the waste which there is built into the stratified rocks. Icebergs Tide glaciers, such as those of Greenland and Alaska, are able to excavate their beds to a considerable distance below sea level. From their fronts, the buoyancy of seawater raises and breaks away great masses of ice which float out to sea as icebergs. Only about one-seventh of a mass of a glacier ice floats above the surface, and a berg 300 feet high may be estimated to have been detached from a glacier not less than 2,000 feet thick where it met the sea. Icebergs transport on their long journeys whatever drift they may have carried when part of the glacier, and scatter it as they melt over the ocean floor. In this way, pebbles torn by the inland ice from the rocks of the interior of Greenland and glaciated during their carriage in the ground moraine are dropped at last among the oozes of the bottom of the North Atlantic. 
End of section 10.